This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment and there's also a glossing detangler, which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair's too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. This is the sleep episode. Every single time I ask you guys what you want to hear about, sleep is always a popular response. So today I am talking to Amanda Jusen, who is the founder of Baby's Best Sleep. She is an infant and child sleep specialist and the mother of two young girls, uh, a Canadian certified sleep consultant and trained educator. She uses a research-based approach to develop custom-tailored programs for her clients. This episode is jam-packed with information. We talk about what a sleep consultant is, what they can help families with, uh, when and when not to sleep train, why babies have such a hard time sleeping through the night, and also, you know, we point out that every baby is different and they're not robots. Newsflash! We also get into a little bit of the controversy with regard to sleep training, you know, attachment theory, what the research shows. Um, Yeah, we talk about some studies because we're big nerds. She gives us amazing sleep tips for both kids and adults, and I share with her what I do right before bed, and it gives her a little bit of joy. So without further ado, here is the sleep episode with Amanda Jusen. So yes, today I am talking to Amanda Jusen, who is the founder of Baby's Best Sleep. Uh, She's an infant and child sleep specialist. So to start, I thought you could just tell us a little bit about who you are and why you got into sleep training. (laughs) I know it is weird, right? When you think about all the jobs that you could have, it's like, I choose the one where the baby cries, please. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I am really just a sleep enthusiast and always have been. And uh, part of my like high school claim to fame is that I didn't have a curfew. And that's mostly because I wanted to be home at like 1030 11 to get a good night of sleep in. So this is always sort of who I've been. My mom said I slept through the night and my very first night home after being in the hospital. So it's just kind of in my DNA. And so when I had, um, when I was pregnant, actually, I had two separate people from two different friendship groups kind of reach out and be like, 
Amanda, we're kind of nervous because we know how much you like sleep and like babies don't sleep. And so you need to know that and uh, you should be afraid. So then basically I read everything about sleep and I have two kids and they're both really great sleepers. And then with my uh, second child, so my first, I went back to work pretty early. I got this amazing dream job. Um, So I went back to work when my daughter was four months and I didn't even think about it. And everyone was like, how are you here? And I was like, I don't know what that means. And they're like, did your baby sleep? And I was like, oh yeah, of course. Does it yours? And then um, my second came and I had a proper mat leave and I realized how much, you know, my mat leave friends were suffering without sleep. And uh, uh, on my second mat leave, two friends had hired these things called like sleep consultants. And I was like, what the hell is that? Number one, you've been asking me what to do and I've been telling you and you haven't been listening. So now you're going to go and hire these people. What sort of, you know, magic are they doing? So then when I investigated a little bit more, I was like, oh my God, I do this. I could totally do this. I, I myself, like my experience with Milo, we never had a sleep consultant, uh, but we paid for that, obviously. Um, but what, because I always wondered, what makes somebody a sleep consultant? What is the training? What what does that look like? Yeah, so that's a good question. There are a number of different training programs or methodologies. Um, you know, and to be honest, the industry isn't super greatly regulated. Um, You know, like as a teacher, I was a a member of the Ontario College of Teachers, and that's like a whole regulatory body. Um, But with, you know, sleep stuff, you want to be, I guess, cautious and and do your research before you're hiring people as well, because you can essentially get some programs on the internet and go for it. But I decided to look at, there is a, um, a, a body that is trying to regulate the work, and that is the Association. Association of Professional Sleep Consultants, and they recognize five training programs. So I decided to train with um, uh, Daniel Obelman, who created the Sleep Sense program. I liked it. It felt gentle. Um, it, it aligned with my belief system. And so uh, I went with her. It's uh, the only training also that does in-person learning, which is kind of nice. So I traveled to Florida and completed her program and then also completed about a year of like like study and research. And then you are under, um, uh, what's the word? Like she's sort of like mentoring you for a year. So everything that you do is kind of under her tutelage. Um, I left the sleep sense program about a year ago, um, just developing my own sort of things and methodologies and, and tips and tricks that I find are working. Um, but yeah, that's sort of what you can do. There's lots of different options. You just want to be obviously mindful about what sort of methodologies you're comfortable preaching or practicing. If somebody is in a situation, they have a little babe at home and they're having issues with sleeping, which I mean, I think it's safe to say that everybody does, most people, um, unless you're their daughter and you sleep on the first night. (laughs) (laughs) So as a parent, when would you know when you, because I got a lot of questions. I know we put out the questions on Instagram. Um, as I was watching them come in, a lot of people were wondering when is the earliest that someone would want to do sleep training with their child? And is there any specific situation where parents don't want to sleep train their children? Like basically 
there has, are there some children that just shouldn't be sleep trained for whatever reason? Right. Um, yeah. So these are the, you know, this is a, a big, long question and it'll re- require a big, long answer. Um, you know, before we get into, you know, when should you train? When should you not? We should talk a little bit about what sleep is um, for both babies and adults, which is a connection of several different times we fall asleep overnight. So nobody actually sleeps through the night. That's the biggest myth. We all wake up several times. If we don't, we're dead and it's bad news. So, you know, it's okay that we wake up in the middle of the night. It's really okay and normal that your child is up in the middle of the night. Um, The difference is you and I can roll over. We have a whole set of skills and behaviors that we've developed to soothe ourselves to sleep, and then we go to sleep. Um, And when a child isn't doing that, there tends to be a lack of of skill building in that area. Um, And I I read your your sleep training experience in your blog on sleep training, and there's so many like good points in in, um, that blog just about like the idea of like, do we need to do that? Is it appropriate? Um, Is this, is it a natural thing that we need to learn to sleep by ourselves? And, uh, you know, these are always often the questions that parents will have for, for me and about the process. Um, and they're, and they're valid questions. Um, my answer to that is always, and I guess my answer to your question, who should sleep train, who should not, is I think that because sleep training is, is less about like doing something to the child and more about that child, like learning how to do something that makes them tired enough to want to fall, fall asleep. Um, you just have to ask yourself whether or not you want to do it. You know what I mean? I don't think everyone has to do it. And I'm not a zealot about sleep training either. I really think it is a personal decision and it's going to be based on that family. And if you want to co-sleep or help your child sleep and connect those cycles overnight and feed them and do whatever, I I really think that that's valid and normal and natural and okay. Um, Where I come in and I guess my sort of like activist hat comes on is where there are um, potential issues for the parent as a result of that, because we don't live in a culture or society anymore that um, allows for parents to have a break. It is really both parents two feet in, um, responsible for the care in the day, the care at the night, the care, do you know what I mean? Um, and then that becomes unsustainable for some parents that are up, let's say every hour or who haven't had a break in their day ever. Um, they also have to live a life and be a human. And so, uh, that's sort of where I come in, where I'm like, look, if you're not surviving in, in your way and you want to change it, it's perfectly safe and appropriate to do so. Obviously, um, beyond that, if there are any issues, you know, in terms of feeding, weight gain, um, uh, you know, any other health issues that you're not comfortable with, you should always be consulting a doctor before you're consulting a sleep consultant. We have a great base of knowledge, but you need to be talking to your doctor. Um, And the earliest that I would do, you know, quote unquote sleep training, we can talk about what that means, um, is is four months. Um, And that's because going back to the idea of sleep being a series of cycles, um, at four months, babies are just smart enough to remember how they fell asleep. Um, 
there are going to be some three-month-olds that are in that developmental phase. So maybe as early as three months, but I wouldn't go any earlier than three months because it's just like useless to ask a baby to do something they can't really remember how to do again and again, you know? Right. Um, so I wouldn't, we're looking for that fourth leap in development. We're looking for, um, you know, parents will often say, oh, my baby slept 12 hours from the time that they were out. And then all of a sudden they're four months and now they get up every hour. Why is that? Well, they were probably getting up every hour before um, as well and putting themselves back to sleep or doing whatever work. And now that they're four months, they remember that you rock them to sleep. And then so they say, okay, hey, come back. I need you to do that again. I would like you to do that every time I need to fall asleep. And that's the true differentiator. Right. This episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon. You guys know I have been very intentional with what we've been eating lately. I'm looking at protein. I'm looking at sugar content and avoiding things like artificial ingredients or colorings. Milo used to always want pancakes or waffles in the mornings, and now he is getting into cereal, and I'm so excited because Magic Spoon is the perfect option. Their variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. They have zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four to five grams of carbs per serving. They're made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and I'm just so happy that he's getting a good amount of protein before he goes off to school. And it's a great snack for me and my husband too, because 13 to 14 grams of protein in the cereal, now you add a high protein milk, you're set. That is such a high protein snack or meal. I should also mention that it is gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So go to magicspoon.com slash momroom to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code momroom at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. So try a delicious bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash momroom and use the code momroom to save $5. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. It is 2024. As busy parents, it's hard to completely overhaul our lives, but what we can do is make small changes that will make our lives easier. And that is where Little Spoon comes in. Their goal is to make keeping your kid healthy feel like the easiest part of your day so that you can cut through all the drama of mealtime. Little Spoon offers baby blends, biteables, and plates. So baby blends is fresh, organic baby food. They have single ingredients, but also multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. Biteables make the transition to finger foods easy because they are cut perfectly to size, which promotes self-feeding. And of course, all the Biteables are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. And then there are plates for your toddlers and your bigger kids. They are meals that are free of all the bad stuff. They taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. They have things like hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous things like pot stickers, gnocchi, and more. Little Spoon also has smoothies and build-it-yourself lunches. Did I mention it all comes right to your door? It is super flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. You can pick up the menu and change up what you order every single time. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You and your kids will love it. It's a huge win-win for your family. 
Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. The thing that you said about how our lives nowadays are not conducive to having a baby up multiple times in the night is so... I talked about that in my blog post as well because... I was thinking so much about sleep and like reflecting and I was like, well, you know, now we live in a society where usually both parents are are working full-time jobs. We are lucky in Canada that women have a fairly decent maternity leave, well, some women anyways. Um so but yeah, and then I always think about, you know, the phrase it takes a village, but like that's not how children are raised anymore. It's literally like you said, it's just the parents. Mm-hmm. So if sleep training is something that can help your family thrive, then totally go for it. And then I was thinking today about why I didn't uh, want to sleep train. And I came to the conclusion that I was so uncomfortable hearing Milo cry for even, you know, like a few minutes. It just made me so uncomfortable that I chose to please myself in the short term and then kind of instead wake up multiple times a night and, you know, have that issue long term. So it it was something that my husband and I had to talk about and decide. And it was like, no, you know what? I'm not comfortable being so upset for two or three days about him crying. So we're just going to not do it. And that's it. Um, But then, like my blog says, at 11 months, we ended up doing it. But just letting him cry a couple times and we didn't have like a program that we were following. Um, But yeah, so the next thing maybe we could touch on is why babies, like you said, adults wake up throughout the night as well, but we have the tools to put ourselves back to sleep. So are babies waking up and having trouble sleeping because, like you said, we just naturally wake up overnight? Or I think the biggest issue people have is getting the baby to sleep initially, like that initial putting them down in the crib or bassinet? Yeah, well, that's such a great question. So it's a combination of both things, actually. So if you think about um, uh, common issues with sleep training when people tend to do these things on their own, so take note, listeners, are that um, there's a lack of consistency in how the child is falling asleep every time. Okay, so your child is extremely smart. We underestimate our babies. Um, part of it is going to be the behavior of, um, you know, how that child initially fell asleep. So when I think about bedtime, um, did you rock your child to sleep? Okay, well, if the answer is yes, no joke. Judgment, but you need to be prepared to do that every time they wake up in the middle of the night because they don't have that toolkit yet to be able to do what you and I do. So it, yeah, your onset needs to look exactly like what you want your overnight to look. And if you want your child to be able to go back to bed on their own, they have to be able to do that um, for naps and they have to be able to do that for nighttime. And so some of the the common pitfalls are like, parents will say, oh, I want to kind of just cuddle them during the day. I like that. I like having that nap, but I don't want to cuddle them at night. Your baby does not understand gray. Your baby is not subtle. Uh, They don't understand nuance or sometimes they understand it's either this or this. Figure it out. (laughs) You pick. And I always tell parents, like, I don't make those rules. Nothing would please me more than to be like, yeah, cuddle that baby all day uh, to sleep and then do whatever you want at night. 
that would be the best, you know? Like, if we could just choose, I would do that. But unfortunately, babies don't get it. So until things look exactly consistent, meaning you put them down the same way at every single sleep situation, you could have night wakings. Um, So that's like the behavioral side. As a, you know, what most a good sleep consultant will do and what your doctor will probably do is also look at some other factors, which are, um, you know, how that baby is eating. Are they saving up all their calories to eat at night? Um, are they, you know, what's the deal there? How how are they doing? So we want to make sure that uh, baby is well fed during the day. Um, it could be, you know, very rarely it could be, you know, an ear infection. It could be um, sometimes like the baby is sleeping all day. And so they're not tired enough to sleep at night. So those are all the things that we kind of look at through our evaluation process um, when we're working with the client. And the thing you said about consistency makes me think about my own experience. So when we when Milo was 11 months old and we decided to, you know, okay, if he starts crying at 10 p.m. or whatever it is, we're just going to leave him. And I remember thinking, if we're going to let him cry, then we need to just let him cry. And so it was like, you need to either be all in or you're going to mess it up because my thinking was, I let him cry and he cries for 10, 15 minutes and then I I give up and decide like, no, I'm going to go get him. In my mind as a psychologist, I was like, well, now I'm teaching him that if he just cries for that length of time, I'll eventually come, right? It's like the intermittent reinforcement. So I hated that because if he cried for longer than what I was comfortable with, then I would start to get nervous. And I'm like, I'm like sweating, you know, because I'm like, oh, my God, just stop, just stop. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, you can't go get him now because now you're going to make it worse. So it's like you need to um, do you recommend that parents if they're going to decide to do the sleep training? It's got to be like we have to go all in and both parents are on board and doing exactly uh, what the training program is every single night and being consistent with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I am so, uh, my husband always kind of laughs at me because if I'm doing a discovery call with a client, so the discovery call is where I'm trying to assess readiness, figure out what the child's um, sleep associations are. So sleep associations are things that a child absolutely needs to fall asleep. They're generally done by parent outside of, of the parent. And then, so I'm trying to figure out, get to the bottom of it. And then when I do figure it out, I kind of walk the parent through what the process is. And I am so blunt and open. Like, look, there is going to be crying. It could be more crying than you like. You've probably never heard this type of crying before. It'll be okay. And Brad is like, how do people hire you after that call? Like you are just it's not pleasant. I'm like, I know, but you have to be really open and honest or else people are shocked. Like what a liar I would be, right? It's not a pleasant experience. But I do want to kind of, I want to clarify some things because I think when people think of sleep training, they think of like a one size fits all solution. You pop the baby in their crib, you peace out, you pour yourself a glass of wine, you become this horrible mom. No one ever attends to the child. The baby is crying alone in a dark room, right? Like these are all the images that are conjured up with sleep training. But sleep training and, you know, in, in my company and what we advocate for, it doesn't have to be a process where you don't support your child. Um, You can touch your child. You can sit with your child until they fall asleep. You can leave the room with periodic checks. You, I mean, as a psychologist, I feel like 
you'll you're you know on board with this and in the idea of like attachment theory uh, attachment parenting and attachment theory are very different things and it's the idea of you know our children feeling attached and bonded to us now in order to and I know that you can speak to this better than I can I just this is what like my bread and butter and I have to know this but um, in order for children to develop an attachment it's not one bad night all is gone it is a series of ongoing events with your child that secure your attachment. It's, you know, your child pointing to a tree and saying tree and you looking and we've have some attunement and attachment there. Um, you can be with your child having a bad day sitting right next to them saying, look, I love you. I know this is challenging. I'm right here. Nobody is abandoning that child. Nobody is not attending to their needs. We're literally not helping them to sleep. That is it. That is it. You can be as involved in the process right. as you want to be. And so I just, you know, and that's not to say people who have done extinction methods or like, you know, true cry it out, like that's detrimental either. It's not. I'm just saying that it doesn't have to be that if that's not comfortable to you. There's lots of wiggle room in the middle. Right. I read the sleep training chapter in Crib Sheet today, and I like how she pointed out that something like, building a secure attachment uh, with your child. Like you said, it's more than just two or three nights. It takes a lot more to to damage uh, a secure relationship, I would say. But so my thinking, and this was, you know, like, I still don't really know what I think. And I'm, you know, I like reading all the information and, and reflecting on it. But my my whole thing with the crying, and I can say this as a person that let their child cry. So like no judgment <laughs> on anybody because we ended up doing that as well. Um, and it worked beautifully and he sleeps amazing. Yeah. So my whole thing was, yeah, they're crying because they want some kind of connection with their parent. So, you know, for months and months and months, I would go and or my husband and we would give him that connection to fall back asleep. And my thing was, if you let him cry, yeah. And then all of a sudden he stops crying at night and he's sleeping in air quotes through the night. He still may be waking and he's not crying, but he's still in discomfort, but not crying because he's learned to not cry because it's not getting him what he wants. Mm -hmm. So it's like you've changed the behavior, but not the maybe underlying issue. Yes, but I do think that, you know, the underlying issue is probably like, I'm awake and I don't want to be, right? And so when we look at children or if we observe their behavior, and, you know, part of my job is to do that, they don't wake and just hang out and be silent. They're able to connect their sleep cycles without you even noticing it, really. You know what I mean? So it's it's about mm -hmm. giving them that skill. But I, I mean, like, I think when it comes down to sleep training, whether or not you want to do it, it is a personal decision. It's really theoretical because in the end, nobody knows. We're all guessing. We're doing our best to make our best guess decision. Um, we have a lot of overwhelming evidence that sleep training, having some sort of method where your child cries during it, is safe, short-term, 
and long-term. We have that, that data. We also have data that shows that there could be a momentary disconnection with that attachment. Um, and Emily Oster in Crib Sheet, which you've referred to, talks about that in that critics. So there's a study that basically studied cortisol levels in mom and baby and discovered that for the most part, they were on par. Uh, during the sleep training process, they rose, their cortisol levels rose together. And then on the third night, um, mom's cortisol level was way down, but baby's was still up, signifying, according to these authors, some sort of like disconnect. Um, and the critics of that study basically say it's an oversimplification. Um, you know, that it could be rightly that mom's cortisol levels are down. Her baby is sleeping and um, she knows how to sleep and she's had eight hours where the baby is experiencing a stressful situation of having to learn how to sleep by the third day. I would say, given my experience with clients, it's a really accurate thing. But then, I mean, this get, we get into a philosophical conversation about stress in children. So as an educator, the children who have never experienced stress aren't uh, really advocates for themselves. They don't know how to deal with stressful situations when they do come out. They're, they tend to be more anxious. They tend to lack agency. Um, these are concerns that I have. And I mean, I mean, we're getting into some big picture things. I don't think if you don't sleep child, they won't have advocacy for themselves or they might be anxious. I'm just saying that there will be times in your child's life, regardless of of sleep training or not, where they experience tolerable amounts of stress and that not all methods require you to be out of that picture. That if your child is experiencing the stress with a loving, caring caregiver, um, they're likely going to float right through it. And honestly, like most of my clients are sleeping in three nights. And so it's not this like ongoing prolonged, oh my God, this baby's crying and crying and crying and crying. Um, it's, it's quite quick and, and gentle when done right. We, um, that was our experience as well. I think by the third or fourth night he was sleeping through the night and we've really like the odd time you know if he has a cold or there's something that's he's teething you know he might have an off night which is totally understandable but for the most part since we did that um and we did it when he was 11 months old he's been sleeping amazing and he's always been he's pretty good at naps as well how what are some things to look out for to kind of tell the parents that the baby maybe needs two naps instead of three or, you know, one nap instead of two? Like, how do you know when to drop a nap and when to drop a nap altogether? What are some things that people should look for? Um, Yeah, I mean, there are so many things. I actually have a podcast episode on this. Maybe I'll send you that link after on, on the things to generally look for. And I talk about three to two, two to one and one to zero nap, which is always a, a tragic day for everyone. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so generally we're looking for, for babies, we're looking for protests going down. And we're talking about a baby that's going down independently, you know, like, or maybe not so independently. If you're helping them down, it's taking you a really long time to get your baby to fall asleep. They probably need a longer wake window. When they need a longer wake window, that's going to push out a nap generally. Um, so I'm looking at between my four and six month olds, about three naps, uh, six to eight month old, we're probably looking at a transition into two 
naps. And again, that's when it's like really hard to get in that third nap and you're like, oh, do I do early bedtime? What do I do here? Um, so you just want to be obviously cautious, like mindful of what your, your baby's behavior is. You want to be looking for short naps as well. Naps that are just super short and not kind of happening at all. Um, and then, you know, the transition to like one nap again, same sort of thing, zero naps. We're looking at basically super late bedtimes, lots of shenanigans at bedtime, um, or like just straight up refusal of the nap. That's generally an easy one. And parents are willing by that point to take an earlier bedtime over like a 10 PM bedtime and a crazy child over the nap. <laughs> yeah, for sure. There's something that I want to get out just cause we never were able to circle back to it. When thinking about sleep training as well, I feel like what is not really discussed is the parent response to the lack of sleep. Yes. And how how dangerous that can be. And not for everybody. I know, I know moms personally are like, I'm up every two hours. I love my life. And that girl should live her best life. And I love her. And I'm not talking to you. I am talking to the mom who is up every, you know, two or three times a day, walking into walls, getting into a car, super drowsy, experiencing depression, anxiety, these are things that are quite significant as a parent and actually could have more of an impact on parent-child attachment than letting your baby cry for three days. That ongoing... 100%. Totally agree with you. And it this kind of is in line with the whole conversation that I've been having with everyone regarding breastfeeding and formula feeding. It's like, what, what is your specific situation and what is going to work best for you? Because ultimately, if something is beneficial for the mom, then it's going to be beneficial for the baby and that relationship and them bonding. And we just, I feel like it's just such a missing part of the conversation, which is so unfortunate because part of like, people are like, what do you do as a sleep consultant? Well, I'm going to tell you that 75% of my job is trying to make a mom not feel guilty for her decision to look after herself, Yeah, which is so bananas and a problem. And I love what you're doing around the on Instagram and on your TikTok about formula versus breast. Like I breastfed both of my girls happily and I love breastfeeding. And obviously it's great. We love it. But the amount of moms that I work with who are literally like just destroying themselves to make it happen is wild. The pain that these women are going through, the judgment. I've had clients go into breastfeeding clinics with a pump and ask for some assistance and how to pump and then being turned away because pumps aren't welcome here. That's nuts. And that has to stop. And I feel like it, I mean, obviously it's so relevant in sleep training as well, but this is like, it's always a personal decision. If you don't want to sleep train, it must mean that you have enough support. You're getting enough sleep. You're living your life. And I, I have nothing to say to you. I love you, honestly, but you can't poop on another mom who needs it because there she really needs it. I can guarantee you. A hundred percent. And I'll go back to something that I talked about uh, when I was writing my blog was that I had friends who sleep trained their babies at four months old and it was like, oh yeah, they're sleeping through the night ever since they were four months. And you know, Milo was eight months and still waking up three or four times a night. 
And I was like, oh, I almost felt jealous. Like I wasn't, it's not that I had these, like, I didn't know what I thought about sleep training, but I was almost jealous that they had the ability or, you know, whatever they were feeling, they were able to go through with the sleep training and everything worked out great and it was fine. And I was like, damn it, I wish that was me. But again, we all have to do what we feel works best for us. And so for us, that was just waking up a bunch of times until he was 11 months old. And then I started to think, you know what, like, I think he's fucking with us. Like, I think he knows <laughs> what's going on here. So uh, I think I'm ready to let him cry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and that's it. And everyone's on their different journey. Like, I have clients who are sure that they want to sleep train at four months. And then we start and they're like, oh, just kidding. And I'm like, okay, I'm always here when you want to come back. And and they do come back when they're ready. And I always tell, like, I have a, a close friend who um, I had my first baby before her and then she had her first and I had my second at the same time. And I remember the baby coming out and her being like, I'm worried about sleep training. And this baby was like five days old. And I was like, look, you'll do it or you won't. There's no, this is before I was a consultant. I was like, you're just not tired enough yet. One day you might get so tired that the, that the, the need to sleep train will outweigh any concern that you could possibly have about like the crying or your baby crying. Yeah. Um, and it came for her. And then for some people it never does and that's okay. It doesn't have to. And I think the same thing with, um, because, you know, and I'm starting to realize this now, the more I interact with moms and, you know, on social media and stuff, there's also kind of this co-sleeping is horrible versus I love co-sleeping. Like there's always like, you know, back and forth with these things. And, you know, sometimes I'm like, Frig, I wish Milo would sleep with me. He thinks if he's in our bed, it's like, let's climb all over mom's head and like hang off the the headboard. He doesn't, he's not into it. And sometimes I'm like, man, I wish he would sleep with me. And so, yeah, everyone has their own their own situation and we should all just be supportive of whatever people want to be doing. I was going to ask if you could give us some of your sleep tips for babies, but then maybe we can talk a little bit about sleep tips for adults. Oh, I like that. Um, So my biggest sleep tips are, you know, number one, make sure everything is the same. So if you're going to do anything, you know, whether or not you want to co-sleep or not or whatever, just make sure that it does look the same for your child in order to lessen their um, protest of sleep whether it's with help or with not. So keeping things the same is, is, is awesome. Um, you want to make sure that your child is not under or overtired. And I say undertired because, you know, undertired has a bad publicist. I only hear about overtired, 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 which leads to some undertired babies and has the exact same response as overtired. Like if I went to bed tonight at eight o'clock, I would absolutely not fall asleep because I'm not tired enough yet. So it's like we're asking our babies to do the same um, a lot. So you want to make sure that your wake windows look good. Again, you can head over to my website and my blog. I have a ton of free resources. I talk about wake windows constantly in my podcast as well. So that's all there. Um, I have a a big chart on one of my blogs. I can send you the link after this as well. Um, But just try to make sure that your wake window is generally 
really within your child's scope. Um, and, and I would say the biggest thing the, my, here's my biggest life tip, okay? Sleep tip, baby tip, parenting tip. Be open to the idea that your child changes over time. Mm. What works right now may not work in three months, and that would be very appropriate. We have to be like, I, I, I know the first time my daughter slept through, my first daughter slept through the night, I was racking my brain to think of all the things that I did before to make that happen so I could replicate it, bottle it, ship it, do whatever I needed to do so that could happen every night. So I understand when you have a good thing going, you're so resistant to change because why would you ever want to mess things up? But sometimes in order to make things better, we do need to change. So, you know, I have, uh, I've had like 10 month old babies on three naps, which is, you know, it's, it's too many naps. <laughs> yeah. And parents are like, yes, but it worked for so long. And so I just don't want to so afraid of you changing it. Just be really open to your changing baby. Um, know that nothing stays the same, the good and the bad. Everything is changing. And know that babies are not robots. Oh my God. I, I was not- just going to say that. That's literally my <laughs> motto. Like my motto is Renee, remember, Milo is not a robot and he doesn't have the tools to be explaining to you that he doesn't want pasta for dinner. He wants, you know, a cookie because he doesn't understand. (laughs) Yes. Well, and, you know, I, I really try to, again, this is all my discovery call that is very like sad, but people hire me anyway. But I say like, look, I please don't hire me if you think that I'm just going to like give you a Stepford baby, okay? Because that does not exist. Um, I'm going to help your baby develop skills. I'm going to help you use your intuition to know when they need you, when they don't. Um, and you're always going to have to be mindful that sometimes your child just won't want to sleep for the simple fact they don't want to sleep. And they're allowed to have that feeling. Now, as a parent, you can set that boundary for them lovingly because sleep is a health and safety issue. It's not like, you know, we don't just give up when our children don't want to drink a bottle. We're not like, okay, good luck. <laughs> Hope this works out for you. Yeah. We, we continue to offer food and when they eat, they'll eat. And I think the same goes for sleep, right? We need to just be mindful that we're not, and I'm not setting out to be like, your baby can be perfect in every single way. It's like, that is a lie. That is a a myth of parenting. Every child has likes, dislikes, preferences, and are their own people. It's really important to remember that for all facets of parenting. I like to say that we take it one cry at a time. So, (laughs) you know, as a parent, you start to learn Oh, this, he's just whining. Like last night, we had the biggest fake cry I've ever seen in my life. It was hilarious. We were giggling in our bedroom. And it's like, no, we're not going to go get him. He ended up falling asleep in like four minutes, but he was just putting on a show. Yeah. And then there's other times where, you know, he'll lay down, he'll be rolling around and, you know, playing with his stuffed animal or whatever in, in the crib. And then all of a sudden, he starts really crying and you know I wait like five minutes and then if he's continuing then I go get him because 
like I know now I've learned when, okay, maybe he needs to just come and hang out with me for 20, 25 minutes. And if he's totally fine being with me, I know like he's physically okay and give him some water and, you know, just like you would do for yourself. Like if I can't fall asleep, go get a drink of water, like, you know, and then eventually he'll fall asleep. So yeah, I like to take it one instance uh, at a time for sure. You know, you're in tune with your child and that's exactly what I hope happens at the end of my work with clients is that you've learned to really trust your intuition about when your child needs you. And, you know, parents will say, well, going forward, what happens in the middle of the night if they cry? And I'm like, well, you go to them (laughs) because you know that it's strange. It's a new behavior. You go to them, you check out what's up. You know, once you've decided that they're okay, then you can resume some, some like waiting processes. But yeah, you can, you can really start to be in tune with your intuition. Yeah. I think that's the beauty of, of the result of sleep training is that normally they are going to sleep overnight and sleep soundly. And so you start to learn what, like when they actually need you versus they're putting on a show. But anyways, um, I just wanted to ask you quickly. So for parents who, you know, obviously we're in a strange time right now and children are trying to transition back into daycare. And I know for us, Milo, the first week back at daycare, he wasn't napping during the day. So I was putting him to bed like an hour earlier. Is that something that you recommend? Well, I mean, I think that, um, you know, the transition to daycare is going to look so different for every baby. Um, For a lot of kids are going to go to daycare and they just follow the leader. And most parents are really worried about daycare. And, you know, for me, it's kind of like, in my experience working with kids in daycare, it's like a walk in the park. They just do whatever is asked of them, much to the annoyance of the parent who's like, I have tried to get you to nap for three weeks. And this woman who you don't know just asks you and you do it. And you're not even in a crib. What is this witchcraft? Um, so that's fairly common. Um, so it sounds like that worked for you, but I don't know that it's a general information for everyone. There are, you know, daycare can be quite overwhelming. Um, it could also be less stimulating for depending on what they're doing. So just try to watch your child's cues and and match what they're doing. You know what I mean? Like, so, oh, it looks like you're a little bit tired. I'm going to give you a later bedtime. I'm going to give you an early bedtime and kind of watch, see how they're doing. And it might look different on right. the weekends too in terms of their nap time. How much activity, how less activity you have in comparison to daycare may impact your, um, may impact your choices in that regard. Okay. Perfect. We'll jump back to the sleep tips. What are some sleep tips for adults? I probably have, I mean, I'm pretty good, but I do watch Real Housewives on my phone in the dark in bed right before I go to sleep. And I hear all this stuff about, you know, you don't want to have the blue light and you shouldn't be watching like screens right before you go to bed because your brain is activated. But for me, there's something about the real housewives that just puts me to sleep. So it works for me. (laughs) Oh my God. I have so many layers of things I want to say to you right now. So layer number one is that I love that the Real Housewives put you to sleep. So I'm a huge Bravo fan, like deep, deep cuts Bravo. Plan to go to BravoCon this November it's not happening clearly. Um, and I also 
kind it's like kind of my shame at the same time. Um, but I love that you're a like PhD in psychology and you're a huge fan. Oh yeah. And so this is, it's giving me life. <laughs> I have to be honest. It's making my day. So, uh, side note. Um, <laughs> and the fact that Ramona Singer puts you to sleep is amazing. Um, okay. So for grownups, yeah, I mean, so we often warn around blue light because there is a lot of good evidence to suggest that blue lights from our phones, from our screens, TVs, literally blue light. So if you have a blue light on like an electronic device or a humidifier or something, that can also mess with your sleep and reduce the amount of melatonin that you produce before bed. And melatonin is what we need to have a good sleep. If we don't have enough of it, we have kind of like crappy, disjointed sleep. Um, so we want a lot of melatonin in production before bed. However, there is, you know, it, melatonin is a, just like anything, it's going to, how we uh, vary, how we do all of those things will vary, right? How we, um, pr- how much melatonin I produce and you produce are just going to be different based on our biology. So it sounds like you might just be a melatonin machine, Woo! Uh, much like me, by the way, because I, I tell people not to look at their phones all the time. I mean, I have started putting my phone in my office. I don't sleep with my my phone in my room. Um, but I could for a long time, look at my phone immediately before going to bed and not have any issues. Right. So obviously you, you want to kind of feel that one out for yourself. Um, we are living in strange times. Uh, I mean, now more than ever, it's really time to shut down the news after 8 p.m. That that's a big one for me. Like it's a 24 hour news cycle. And like, we're in a pandemic, unless they're telling me they have like eight different vaccines that are going to make this go away. I don't want to read about it. So uh, I would just avoid that. Um, I would avoid news after 8 p.m. And, and limit your news consumption to about an hour a day, especially if you're feeling stressed about any of the right. stuff happening. Um, and then finally, you want to do some like good body care. So relaxing your body, relaxing your mind, you know, the mind-body connection. I'm embarrassed to say I was a uh, a guidance counselor. I am very much into mental health. I've seen a therapist for a long time. I love it. But it wasn't until like literally three years ago that mind-body connection really became very apparent. Like I was working full-time teaching. Uh, my business was like insanely busy surprise. I didn't think it was, I was like, I'll just do this on the side and go on a great vacation. And then it was like, it was insane. So that year where I was working two full jobs, I started losing my hair. My doctor was like, are you under any stress? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm totally fine. I was like, not fine. Um, and then, uh, I finally went to go see a dermatologist who laid it to me like real straight. He's like, hi, what happened six months ago? And I was like, oh, well, my business got really busy. He's like, there you go. I'll see you later. This is a thing. Stress does stuff to your body. And so I've just seen it change my life in so many ways. Like I meditate for 20 minutes a day. I take a shower before bed. When your body is calm, when we find time to really practice stillness and calm in our life, our sleep is better. Our adrenaline is down. Our cortisol levels are down. Uh, all of those things, it all comes comes together. So finding time to like calm your body will help calm your brain, will help you sleep better. I am a huge and 
by huge, I mean like huge fan of sound machines. Oh. And specifically, there's a brand, it's Marpac, and they make a sound machine that it's not a speaker, so it, it's not audio coming out of white noise. Yeah. Yeah, it's like actually yeah. like a, a machine inside that makes a fan sound obsessed like I will not leave the house if I'm spending the night somewhere I won't leave the house without it and I right now we have one on each side of our bed like on each nightstand and Milo since day one night in the hospital we've had that sound machine on next to him sleeping um so what are your thoughts for sound machines with I guess, both adults and babies. I love them. I mean, you know, people are often afraid that a sound machine will become a sleep association. Um, I What I think is it just trains the brain to focus its hearing on something other than like a loud sound or something. Yeah. Um, kids tend to sleep well without it. Obviously, people can have a preference, but I'm sure if I put you somewhere, you could sleep without it. But it does, just like having blackout blinds and sleeping in a really dark room, you're creating the most optimal sleep environment. So it, I love sound machines. I love them for grownups. I love them for, for kids. I have a sound machine that I love. I love that brand that you're referring to. I love I love it. I love that it's not like a speaker. I love the actual like um, yeah. fan inside. Um, but the issue, uh, not the issue. There's a a great product that I like, the Hatch Baby Rest. Um, they don't pay me. I wish they would because I've sold like a million of their things. But um, <laughs> they they're awesome because you can buy them from the time you just have a baby. So you have a baby and you want to get a sound machine. So this is like a sound machine. It also has like a nightlight if you want to keep a sleep safe nightlight. So no blue light. Um, but it also morphs into a okay to wait clock when your child is three and wants to be up at five o'clock in the morning and walks out of the room. So this is like a, a product forever, which is why I love it so much. It can last you a really long time. Um, and the other cool thing about it is you can control it from your phone. So like, let's say your child is sleeping in. Oh my God, I don't want them. I don't want this like, okay to wait clock to wake them up. You can just make it go longer. It's a genius product, clearly made by parents. There are some clocks that glow blue all night. It's literally blue light in the child's room. So it it may actually disrupt your overnight sleep. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. And so the hatch one doesn't have the lights on it? You can turn it off overnight. Or when you do put okay. on a nightlight, you can choose the color. Like So it's fully customizable. So you can make it orange, red, or yellow, which is what I would suggest. And when... So I know those products are you know, signaling to the child when it's okay or like when it's a wake up time versus sleep time. And so when do parents start to use those products to make the associations for the child? Like, do you just all of a sudden throw it in their room and they're supposed to catch on? Um, let me, yeah. So this is sort of what I would do and why I like the hatch so much because you can control when it goes on. You can start as early as 18 months. Like they're not going to fully get it, but what I might do is I would start turning on the light right before you get them out of the room in the morning. So they start to understand that morning doesn't start until this light comes on. Okay. And so 
you can just keep doing that. And then I would say by like two, two and a half, they start to understand, okay, it's time to stay put or it's time to stay quiet until this light comes on. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah. So over two and a half, but you can start early. Like once they, like, I know this because my girls share a room. And so I had the hatch on for my oldest. And I remember like my 15 month old, when her okay to wake light came on, the 15 month old would go, yay. <laughs> It's really cute. Okay, <laughs> I have one quick question before we get to your resources and you can tell us about um your company. Yeah. Is it true or do you advise that parents keep their children in cribs for as long as possible basically? Yes. <laughs> it is true. Um okay. so you know this might annoy people. People want to get their kiddos into a bed as soon as possible. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be a crib per se, but you need to have either them in a crib or some sort of barrier in the room. Because under three years old, your child does not understand why this freedom exists if they can't exercise it. If this door opens... Why can I not be outside of it? If I can get out and find you, and you are my absolute favorite person, why am I not finding you immediately upon that thought hitting my head? Um, so it's either you got to be okay with that and, you know, constant wake-ups and uh, a walking alarm clock, or I would suggest leaving them in their cribs for as long as possible possible no earlier than three if you can possibly handle it longer if they're comfortable and happy right I so I know a lot of people mention that their child is climbing out of the crib and for us we have not had that issue and Milo's pretty tall so he could probably do it if he wanted to but I find keeping them in a sleep sack that they can't get out of helps with the crawling out of the crib like it makes it impossible to climb up on it you're exactly right and this is um when i'm working with clients uh i always recommend a sleep sack uh and um my clients will be like, you know, do we really need to do that? And then I'm like, look, if you get this baby in a sleep sack now while they're young, you will not be fighting one on them when they're two and they're climbing out of their crib. So consider this crib hopping insurance. And they're like, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. So this is just a random, hilarious story. My friend went to her cottage and she forgot her daughter's sleep sack and her daughter is Milo's age almost two years old and she was climbing out of the crib so what she did was the only thing they could do they're at the cottage she has nothing she put Vaseline on the bars of the crib no way (laughs) and it worked wow and that is resourceful yeah totally so there's that um so yeah I'll let you talk you talked already about the hatch um light or clock whatever you want to call it what are two other resources that you would have for moms um well the the first thing uh, you know I'll kind of say these in order is um we've talked about Emily Oster like million times on this podcast, but she is my personal parenting guru in terms of like how to make decisions. And she's an economist and she teaches at Brown University and she's written two books that have saved my life. So the first is called Expecting Better. Did you read that one, Renee? No, no. I don't know why I've never like if anyone is the biggest research data nerd in the world, it's me. So I don't know how these books never came into my lap. (sighs) 
I've sent it to every pregnant person I know. Um, just because, you know, your first pregnancy is fraught with like, should I do this? Should I not? A whole bunch of like, this is what you shouldn't do. And she breaks down all of the, um, you know, the actual risks associated with the don't do this advice, which I really and then you can kind of make those decisions. Um, and then our second book, Crib Sheet, is sort of the same thing, but with parenting decisions. So here's a controversial thing. This is actually what the science says about it. And Emily Oster's credit, she's not really pushing you in any direction in this book. She really believes that there's many yeah. great ways to parent, which I also share. And so I find a lot of books are kind of pushing an agenda and I really don't feel like she is. I think she's just, her agenda is like data driven decision-making for parents. And that's how I love to live my life. So those are my two resources, you know, pre and post baby. Uh, she talks about like sleep training. Uh, you've talked about this. I know uh, formula versus breast milk, co-sleeping versus not allergies, vaccinations, all of those things. So just some topics. Then after that, I want you to have your baby and then try to find a swaddle that works for your baby. That's going to get you some pretty long stretches in a time where sleep isn't necessarily guaranteed. You know, the newborn stage from zero to 13 weeks is very messy and that's okay. Like even the best intention parent might not be able to get over the newborn hurdle. A swaddle can definitely help you get longer stretches. And like, like having four hours of sleep once a night, it's not great, but it's going to put you in a way better position than someone who's not sleeping. I promise. <laughs> and then, yeah, so those are my two, my two favorite things. Uh, swaddles are literally changing every 15 seconds. Um, I always have, like, I like the swaddle up because babies can put their hands up. A lot of babies who don't like swaddles tend to like the swaddle up. Um, if you're looking for a great transition product from swaddle to sleep sack, the zippity zip is a great item um, for babies who still have a big startle reflex, but can't be swaddled anymore. Or, or are rolling. That's a great item. Um, and yeah, those are those are my two faves right now. Awesome. I'll put the the links to some of those in the episode uh, notes for sure. Where can people find you? And how you know if someone wants to contact you for um, what did you call it the first the first uh, talk? Uh, oh, a discovery call. A discovery yes. call. So if <laughs> if someone wants to get a hold of you, um, where can they find you? Um, so I can be found uh, on Instagram at Baby's Best Sleep. That's B A B Y S Best Sleep. Uh, you can go to my website www.babiesbestsleep.com. You can email me Amanda at Baby's bestsleep.com. Um, and I have an amazing team working with me as well. Um, if I'm not available. So every one of my team members has been working with me, working with me, trained with my methodologies is awesome. Um, so if I'm not available, no, like people will write me and be like, Hey, so are these people any good? <laughs> Which is always funny. Cause I'm not going to be like, you know what? They're not actually, they're not. So no, they're all great. They're so, so great. Uh, and you can't go wrong with any. And what about your podcast? Tell us about your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm actually about to start recording season four. Um, I'm in the midst 
most of a move. So once I'm settled, I'm going to be putting out the feelers again. But yeah, I have a slumber party with Amanda Juicen. So I have like experts or cool guests on half the time. And then the other half is I put out the feelers and I will in about a month for a free call with me. So just random people will apply and I try to take some interesting common sleep issues or topics and then I work through it with the client on a podcast episode. So we've talked about like I love that idea. Thank you. Um thank you. I'm actually I, I'm very inspired by Janet Lansbury. Are you familiar with her podcast on Russell? I have seen it on the charts, but I have not listened to it. <laughs> I know I you like post your like damn dragon beating me for number one. <laughs> um, yeah, you would definitely see Janet's podcast in there. And I feel like you're heading into the time where you might want to start listening to it. Because as Milo gets older, he's going to start exhibiting a lot more behavior and big feelings. And I just love her podcast. That's another great resource for any parent. Um, she's written two great books called uh, Elevating Child Care, No Bad Kids. Uh, and she's just a wonderful parent resource. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you. This is great. Yes. I'm excited to put this one out because everybody, whenever I say like, whoa, what are some topics that you guys want to hear about? It's like sleep. (laughs) So, (laughs) Well, I hope they enjoy this. I hope they, they like it. Wasn't that episode amazing? And I would also like to point out that Amanda, because she was in the middle of a move when we recorded that, she was recording from her car. And, you know, it's summertime right now. She didn't want to turn on the car because the microphone would have picked up the noises. So she literally almost died to give you guys this information. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you learned a lot and maybe even took some notes. Uh, You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at the.mom.room. I just started a mom gang. So if you want to be a member, head over to patreon.com slash the mom room and join. I promise there's no like initiation process. My website is renearena.com. Did you know I have a book club? We're on Instagram. It's at the.mom.room.bookclub. Our September book is Mom Truths by Kat and Nat. So yeah, come join us if you want to read a friggin' book. Thank you for listening and we will see you on Tuesday for the solo episode. I don't know what I'm going to talk about yet, but I'm sure it's going to be something mom related. I hope your children sleep tonight. Let's do, let's do, let's do.